Attention developers! This summer, join the worldwide developer community in Berlin for the We Are Developers World Congress. From July 26th to 28th, experience over 300 speakers on 12 stages, outdoor activities, parties, and more. Use discount code STACKOVERFLOW for 20% off your ticket at worldcongress.dev. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my wonderful colleagues and collaborators, Ryan Donovan, who edits our newsletter and our blog, and Ira May, who has written many times for the blog, is on the content team here and helps us in immeasurable ways doing her first stint as a podcast host. Hi, Ira. Welcome to the club. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> so we have a very exciting guest today, Adam Jacob, who is the co-founder and CEO at System Initiative. We're going to have him on to chat a bit about an announcement that they made recently and dig a little bit into some of the things he's worked on uh, in his time as a CTO. So Adam. Welcome to Stack Overflow Podcast. Thank you. I'm stoked to be here. So for folks who don't know, situate them a little bit. How did you get into the world of software and technology? Yeah, so I'm so I'm 45, which mm-hmm. only matters in that like I got into it when I was like a kid because bulletin <laughs> boards were awesome. And yes. if you're roughly my age or in that mm-hmm. zone uh, and you like knew how modems worked, uh, it was the era where the internet happened and everybody had to like get on the internet. And so there was yes. like a lot of like ISPs and like the back rooms of dentist offices and stuff like that. Um, that's like an actual, that's where my first job was, was building an ISP in the back room of a dentist office. So you'd like walk I past people it. getting mm-hmm. like a cleaning or whatever. I did see that on your LinkedIn. It says yeah. systems administrator, internet access. Mm-hmm. Just anybody who needs internet access, you're the sysadmin and they go to. Kind of. Yeah. Like a little, <laughs> it kind of turned out like over time, it kind of turned out that way, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so then my career sort of followed that arc, right? Where... It was like, first it was, how do we get people on the internet? And then it was, how do we get more interesting content for things for people to do on the internet? And then it was, uh, how do we get like all the eyeballs in one place, you know, sort of Facebook (laughs) style. And then it was, how do we, now that we can have like a million people show up immediately when you launch a new thing on the internet, like how does that scale? And so my career arc really just parallels the arc of like, how did we learn how to do all this stuff? Because, mm. you know, when, when we started, there wasn't a way to do it, you know, like we had to make it up as we went along. And so I feel like I've kind of been making it up the whole time in that way. And so even though now I'm like a CEO and I, I was a CTO chef for a long time, mm. like in my heart, I'm a systems administrator. Um, mm. and have always been. <laughs> from, from infrastructure to content, back to infrastructure. Yeah, kind of. Like, and, and like still the things that I find most interesting are infrastructure problems, you know, like I... Like I find infrastructure problems the most interesting problems. And so now I write software that like deals with infrastructure problems because those are like my people and the Mm. thing that I'm nerdy about, you know? Mm. So for folks who don't know, tell us a little bit about Chef. Uh, What was your involvement there? And, um, you know, how did that project lead you to your current role as more of like the co-founder CEO? Yeah, so I was a co-founder of of Chef as well. Um, And... I had lots of different job titles, but mostly I was the CTO. Not always. Mm -hmm. There were other people who were great at being CTO chef. Chef is a configuration management tool. So you wrote Ruby that described how you wanted a bunch of servers to work. And then when you ran it, it looked to see if the servers worked the way you said. And if it didn't, it like figured out how to fix them is the like shortest possible version of what chef is. Uh, It kind of came out of that early era of, of explosive 
internet growth. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me in my career, I had been working for the same people for like a decade where what they did was buy like companies that were sort of plateaued. Um, you know, they were like sixth, seventh and eighth in the in an industry and then they would consolidate them. And my job was to like put them on infrastructure that worked basically. Um, so we learned a lot in a really short period of time about how to do that. So then we started using automation to do it. And right about that time, like EC2 started to happen and Facebook applications started to happen. So a lot of my friends or other people were in these really incredible scale moments that no one had ever seen before. And so Mm. we started designing systems to figure out how to manage to this massive kind of new scale that we couldn't sort of think about before. Hyperscale, yeah. Yeah, and so those tools then Mm -hmm. became, you know, like Chef is how Facebook runs all the systems in their data centers, right? Um, Or if you're in big banks, like it's how lots of big banks run all of their systems. And so that was sort of, that was that was how that happened. And I was the, I was there the whole time. So I was a co-founder. Um, I was on the board when we sold it to progress. Yeah. A lot of my role there was, was going around and just talking to people. So some of it was, was internal facing where you're, you know, running hundreds of software developers or doing engineering. Some of it was also going into corporations and helping them figure out like, how do we do this DevOps thing? Like, how do we in the broad, like, we want to figure out how to go faster. We want to figure out how to collaborate better. We want to build better internal platforms that help us do that. And so I would go spend weeks at a time basically running other people's teams. I would basically say, hey, just let me boss you around for a couple of weeks and I'll teach you how to do it. And then I'll leave. And if you like what I did, you can keep it. And if you don't, no harm, no foul, you know, because I'm gone anyway. And we had pretty solid success doing that. We we like had a lot, taught a lot of people how to sort of get to those outcomes. I think ultimately for me, why, why I left chef in the end was that, um, you know, I, I was kind of doing one of those engagements and was in a room with a bunch of people. And, uh, they asked me a question about how they would solve this hard problem. And they're like global CTO. When I was done answering their like global CTO turned around and he high fived me. And normally that like is amazing. You know, like if that happens to you in a business meeting, you're like, yes, I'm God King or whatever, you know, it feels good. Mm -hmm. And I felt nothing. You know, like it didn't, I didn't feel, there was no brain juice. I didn't, there was no joy. And I, and I like, you know, I didn't want to play myself on TV. And the reason I didn't feel that joy was that I kind of knew that we were going to make their lives better. It was going to be better, you know, like it was going to, we were going to help them. But what they really wanted and what they really needed was, was, was unachievable. Like Mm. that set of tools put together Mm. the way we put them together, the outcomes weren't going to live up to our aspirations, you know, like what we wanted was these like smooth, real time, like relationship driven, high collaboration work environments. And what we're going to get was more automation, (laughs) and gates Mm -hmm. and pull request reviews and, you know, 45 minute CI runs and five hour deployment pipelines and like, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So is it fair to say that uh, chef is part of the uh, infrastructures code? movement yeah definitely fair to say yeah Yeah, i would say to me that movement starts with like cf engine in whatever Mm -hmm. 1992 and you can kind of draw a line from cf engine through to puppet and chef and terraform and Pulumi and Mm -hmm. ansible and uh, salt and i can keep going but yeah all those things sort of have a piece yeah Uh, so uh it sounds like you you created that one sort of early on in the the big scale-ups um, what, how do you think that computing infrastructure has changed since you, 
since Chef started? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, so much, right? Like, right. you know, a, a big piece of it is that shift away from from individual servers. So, you know, when when mm-hmm. Chef started, it, what we were thinking about in the cloud was like essentially analogous to like I can get a VM and it's at the end of an API, and that was transformative. And I think now. Right. You know, it's more about we get richer services at the end of those APIs. They do more for us. They're more about application functionality sort of being delivered at the end of an API endpoint rather than saying, like, here's the individual servers that we need to build. I think even in things like Kubernetes, you know, the goal there has always been to, like, figure out how to build a little platform that then lets us not think so much about the individual servers, I don't know how successful it's actually been at that because I think we spend a lot of time still obsessing about how many of the little things I'm running on my cluster or whatever. Um, but um, but but I think it's changed a lot. Um, and in some ways, it hasn't changed at all. <laughs> so like when you look at how we do the work, like we're still basically applying the same principles we were applying in 1997, 98, mm. 99 to these new systems to our detriment, to be honest, mm-hmm. like, like we, we haven't, mm-hmm. there's there, the world had, the landscape has changed dramatically. And if you look at how we approach that landscape, it's still basically the same. We're like, well, let's write some code and check it into a repository and try mm-hmm. to manage all this schmeg that like puts all of our together. And like, you know, hopefully it works out. And mm-hmm. like, we just, we're just rinsing and repeating that process over and over and over again, while the landscape has dramatically altered around us for basically the same outcomes, you know, they get like, it gets a little better on the margins, but. Right. So you had brought us to this moment uh, of pathos where you were uh, getting a high five and just feeling nothing. And yeah. as you mentioned, you know, you, pathos you felt is the like right maybe, word. yeah, you had reached, you had reached mm-hmm. a plateau of your own where it was like, you know, yeah. I, I know how to fix this and make it work for the company, but it's not the outcome that I would want ultimately, you know, and it's not evolving. So can you talk a little bit about where you went from there? I guess you decided to leave and start a new initiative, system initiative. Yeah. Not, I didn't mean to say it that way, but, um, no, I mean, you know, it's kind of how we thought the, about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, what was uh, kind of the seed there, you know, the frustration, but then the idea to make it better and how are you trying to yeah. realize that? So, you know, if you listen and, and sort of lived through the DevOps movement, you know, a, a lot of what is at the core, the heart of that movement is really right. You know, like it is, it is the aspirations of that movement and the things we say we want together. Like that is true. It's right. It's the right thing to do. We know it works. When you look at the technology landscape, the the struggle is that it's so, there's so many different pieces and the way that we've put the different pieces together to manage them works, which is kind of amazing. So if you think about the fact that it works at all, it's, it's like, were super heroic, right? So, so here that here the super heroicness in the fact that it's working, like it's what we have built is amazing. And the reason, you know, if we want to have like a highly collaborative work environment, like we need to fix things like why are the feedback loops so long? If it takes 45 minutes to know if I'm right or wrong, then I can't really collaborate with someone else. Because mm-hmm. it takes 45 minutes to know if it's right or wrong. It's not like we can just look at it together and be like, is that right? We're like, well, I mean, maybe we'll know in an hour, you know, and then you go get coffee <laughs> and you come back in an hour and you're like, I hope it works, you know. And if you think about how long your CI pipelines take to run or how long your, you know, it takes to deploy a change to your application, like it's not crazy that it takes that long or longer. 
right? The release train takes a week. Um, and if you think about infrastructure changes, it's even weirder. We're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go write all this infrastructure as code. I hope that it works. I do code review with my peers. That's kind of like collaborating. But it's not really like collaborating. It's not like piling into a Google Doc, right? It's not like being where we are right now, where we're talking to each other and like doing the work together. Mm-hmm. And so, so we really felt like if we wanted that to be true, we needed to start from there as, as, the, as the goal and say, okay, what would the work environment be that we want? And then we have to do whatever we have to do to figure out how to create technology that enables that behavior that enables that outcome rather than thinking about, Hey, the deployment part of the pipeline sucks and I need to find a new caching mechanism to make the deployment pipeline a little bit faster. Right. Instead it was like, Mm -hmm. Nope, the problem here is systemic, right? It's that it's Mm -hmm. that the way we work is, is informed by the tools that we use, which then reinforces that that's the right way to do it. And so if we want to change the outcomes, we have to change the system and that's where system initiative came from. Um, and it really was focused in on this idea that, like, we could do better, but in order to do better, we have to sort of have a vision of what better would be, and then we have to do whatever we have to do to make it work. And it was take it took a long time. So you know, we've been building System Initiative for three years before anybody saw it, um, because building a real time multiplayer wow. uh, collaborative environment for building infrastructure in real time. And then like managing it in the real world in bi-directional ways is hard. And like, mm-hmm. but we figured it out. Okay. It, it sounds like you've, you've named in terms of like the pain points that you're trying to solve for folks, like these long feedback loops, these yeah. CI pipelines that take forever, how long it takes to deploy application changes. Yeah. I was reading a, a blog post on your website where you talked about this idea of like DevOps without paper cuts, which I found yeah. to be a really evocative image. Mm-hmm. And I'm not an engineer, but I do hate paper cuts. So I was just kind of thinking <sighs> like, does. right? Other, than, <laughs> other yeah. than those those problems that you mentioned, are there other like pieces of the experience that you feel like you want to solve for with system initiative? Yeah, kind of all of it. Yeah. Which I know is like just the height of hubris, right? So <laughs> so please understand that like I hear I hear the ego in my own reply. Yeah. So like I'm not I'm not so egotistical as to believe that I can do it. I can't. Like like what I believe is that we need to ignite everyone's imagination to the fact that it's possible to do this in a different, better way. And that together we can figure out how to resolve all these tiny things that hurt us all day long. But we don't have to settle for what we know is a subpar outcome um, just because mm. that's the way we've been doing it. You know, that's the, that's the way we figured out how to do it over the last 20 years. Like we can do better than that if we decide to. Um, and we'll have to do it together because it's too big a problem, right? It's not like I get to come down and be like, oh, I spent three years in a cave and with all my co-founders <laughs> and my team. And, you know, we all worked really hard and we figured it out and huzzah, like fixed it, you know, like it doesn't, it's not going to happen like that, but, mm. but we can fix it. And yeah, the thing about paper cuts is that it's full of them. So, you know, find a Kubernetes engineer or a person who works Kubernetes all day and ask them how they feel about YAML, right? <laughs> be like, how do you how do you feel about managing all those things? And it's awful and they hate it. And they'll just give you the litany of tiny paper cuts. And then if you ask them, you know, do you like it? They're like, well, yeah, because it does what I need it to do. <laughs> you know, like, right. I feel okay about it. But then if you dig deeper and you're like, you know, I asked this question about Terraform, which this is not a dig on Terraform. People would have said this about Chef too. Like I've literally had strangers come up to me on the street and tap me on the shoulder and be like, hey, are you Adam Jacob? And I'm like, yeah. 
and they're like, did you build chef? And I'm like, yes, thinking that they're going to say something nice to me. And then they're like, I hate you. Chef's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. I can't believe that happened. You wow. And you haters. And I was like, wow, oh, thanks so for that. well, I was just like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't do it for you. Yeah. You know, I didn't know. I didn't have you in mind. It's not, I didn't, I didn't want to hurt you, you know, but <laughs> I asked this like pithy question on Twitter, which is a terrible place to ask this question. Cause you're just going to get posters. Right. But, um, but I was like, mm-hmm. what do you do? What do you call it when you're writing infrastructure as code? And the replies were like sadness, pain, <laughs> uh, crying, you know, dying, you know, sure. and like, <laughs> that's stuff. bad, you know, right. like it was funny. Right. And like, I get that it was funny and people were kidding and they didn't mean it. And also like, man, I don't say that about stuff that I love, you know, like right. things that I love. That's not the first mm-hmm. thing that mm-hmm. comes to my mind. I'm not like, I know the joke I can make. Like the reason it's funny is because yeah, it's true. You know, like we don't like it. Mm-hmm. It's not actually not very good. And it's because it cuts us in these tiny little ways. It's not because it's mm-hmm. bad in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. It's because there's all these tiny little paper cuts in our day that like just really wear you down. So what's what's the alternative though? Like provisioning you know, going out and buying new memory and new servers or manually spinning up VMs. Like, yeah, what is the multiplayer game experience that's going to save us from this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have one path at the alternative. I think there's an emerging sort of second wave of people experimenting in the DevOps space. And you can look at it from like system initiative is one thing. You can look at like what the folks who make Q are trying to do where they're like, hey, what if the configuration language did more for us? And supported us in in building large at scale configuration in a way that existing systems don't. Um, there's platform folks like Fly or Railway that are like making better Heroku's. Like there's all kinds of experimentation wing where it's like, hey, there's a language we want to do. So there's this emerging sort of second wave of people trying to think about how to fix this problem. And I think for me, we took the approach that said, okay, the big paper cuts here are about the feedback loops and about how much repetition we have to have in the configuration, how hard it is to scale it up semantically to go from like, I have a low level thing I'm dealing with in Amazon, but now I need like a, I need a bank of America application, which is different than just like, that's not a thing that exists in the world. It just semantically exists in the head of people in bank of America. So how do we build a system that lets us sort of model those semantics where you can go all the way to the bottom because that's a requirement of any complex system. You got to be able to deal with it in its full complexity um, while also giving you faster feedback loops. And what we came up with was we needed to basically build digital twins. So there's a thing that comes from industry from like, you see it a lot in industry where, you know, a good example is people build digital twins for mining equipment now. So we can remote control a mining rig and send it into a mine. So if the mine collapses, nobody dies, right? Because if you send mm. a person into the mine and the mine collapses, then the mine shuts down forever. But if we send a robot in and the mine collapses, we're like, well, lost a robot, right? Mm. So those systems work because we build a digital model that's super high fidelity. And then we use that model to inform the activities we would take in the real world and vice versa. So there's sensors on the thing that tell us what it's doing. And then we use those feedback loops to change it. So we basically do the same thing only for cloud infrastructure. So we build high fidelity models of all the stuff that's in like AWS. And then we let you interact with those high fidelity models in real time because they're not real. (laughs) It's a simulation. And so Mm -hmm. that simulation can have rules that tell you this configuration looks good or bad. We can use the models and their relationships to say, hey, if I have a Docker image that exposes a port number, 
I can say that there's a relationship between that Docker image and the configuration of this server and the configuration of the load balancer that allows you to access it. And so if I change that port number in the Docker image, you should just change the port number and all the other configurations automatically, right? Um, and you can do that through like a visual interface where you're literally, you know, basically building an architecture diagram that allows you to connect those things together and express those relationships and see the model of what you want to see in the infrastructure and get real-time feedback. Um, we call them qualifications that tell you, yep, this model looks like it'll work. This thing seems like it'll happen. And then under the hood, you can program it. So when you want to extend it, you basically press a button and it turns into an IDE. And then you write JavaScript to extend how the system works. So when you're making your particular thing, you know, you want to uh, you have an internal image scanner that says every Docker image must go through your security scanners. You write a little JavaScript that connects to that security scanning system. And now everybody gets real-time feedback every time they say they want to use a Docker image that tells them you passed the security auditor you didn't. So it sounds like in this scenario, the fidelity is really the thing, right? If I'm making these changes and it says, you know, systems are a go, um, I need to know that, you know, the digital twin is an accurate representation of what's going to happen, you know, if those those changes get moved from test to prod or, yeah. I don't know, kind of this, you know, the staging environment, this play environment you have um, to the real life version. So what's the tech stack that you built it on, especially getting to start, you know, as you said, so many years after you first began, how yeah. did you go about architecting this? You know, it's so funny. Like uh, the tech stack looks, it's in some ways super modern and in some ways very not. So it's it's Postgres and Rust and TypeScript mm. and Vue. And mm. Postgres mm. is doing like a lot of work for us. So we've basically built like a custom database layer around Postgres that sort of understands how all these how all these models work um, and and knows how to do all this data updating. Um, and then there's this function execution layer, like the internals of system initiative. It's basically like a hypergraph of all the tiny pieces of configuration and all their relationships. And then behind each node of the graph is a function you call. And then that function writes its values out. And then we construct this big graph and we track all the inputs and it re-rolls kind of like Vue does or React does, if you've ever used mm -hmm. those, those things. But like, there's a lot mm -hmm. of like stored procedures, which is weird. You know, like in some ways, working on system initiative mm -hmm. is like going like through a weird time machine. We built a <laughs> yeah. lot of different versions of it. Um, and it turned out that that was the version that like worked best. So. Right. That, that is funny. Right. If you go, you, I think Postgres take you back to 1996 and your time at the dentist, Rust, uh, you know, started Not at all. the last decade or so. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So stick those things together. <laughs> you know, if you listen to this, what we've just said, and you're like, oh, that's so interesting because you love the space and the idea of like a different way of doing this work ignites your brain, then you should come to systemminute.com and you can use it today and start playing with it and building on it. Um, it's, but it's early days. And so who it's really ready for are those early builders who want to come and experiment and play and see what's possible. Um, it's not quite ready yet for like regular people who are like, Hey, what I want to do is like, automate bank of america you know like you're not <laughs> going to do that yet with uh with system initiative but if you're a person who is dissatisfied with the status quo of how things work and you want to know if there's a better way to do it and you want to come join an open source community that's also stoked to build something new um and see what's possible with this this new toy we've made 
like then you can come join this community of people and and we can build that thing together and it'll be super fun All right, everybody, thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate it. And we want to give a quick shout out to a member of the community who came on Stack Overflow, shared a little knowledge uh, and helped make somebody's day better. Awarded one hour ago to said alb, how can I convert date to string back to date? All right, they got a lifeboat badge for saving this question, providing a great answer and helping over 15,000 people. So if you've got that problem, we've got an answer for you in the show notes. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions for the program, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like what you hear, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at rthordonovan. I'm Ira. I'm on the editorial team also at Stack Overflow. And if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I am at Ira Maybe, E-I-R-A Maybe. I'm Adam Jacob. I'm the CEO of System Initiative. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Adam HJK. And you can check out System Initiative at systeminit.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.